following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I want to describe for you three levels of patience. Three levels of patience. Easy patience, difficult patience, and painful patience. Maybe uh, you're familiar with this. Level one, you're praying, Lord, grant me patience and hurry up. Okay, that's level one. It's when your kids are get distracted and so they don't get to the car, which means you don't get to your location on time. It's when your spouse says she's ready to go and you're in the car and then she's got seven more things to do. It's when your friends arrive at noon when they say they'd pick you up at 9 a.m. That's easy patience. Level two is when you think these circumstances are not very fun. This event really hurts. This person is a massive challenge. It uh, really is really wearing. When you're counting it all joy, it seems so unnatural because you know it has to be supernatural. That's difficult patience. But there's a deeper level of patience, one that all Christians at some point will come to know well, and I've termed it, called it, coined it, painful waiting. Painful waiting. These are long-term, life-altering, character-building, knifing you into Christ-likeness events. Some examples would be your inability to have children. Waking up one day, shockingly surprised that you're married to an unbeliever. Working for that oppressive boss day after day after day. Finding yourself desiring marriage, but not married at 35. And back in the first century, being cheated out of your just wages by devious so-called Christians. That's what was happening in the book of James, is there were very wealthy who were cheating their workers out of their due wages. So in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, and if you're new with this, we're working our way through this book, and now we've arrived at this particular section, is one of the most helpful passages in dealing with painful waiting. Where do you go when you're at the end of your rope? Where do you turn when you're truly at the bottom of the barrel, when life is so painful you can't even think your way out of it? Well, the answer is to turn to this passage today, to turn to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. I'm excited to give this to you because I want it to be a resource for you. In fact, I want it to be the cup of cold water in the midst of the heat and trial and struggle of a massively difficult situation. I want it to be a comfort to your heart, restore your joy, and strengthen your heart. For those who are not born again, I'm hoping that God's truth today actually will be so attractive to you that in your pain you surrender to Christ in order to know His compassionate comfort because these verses only apply to the transformed children of God. They only belong to Christians. Ten-point sermons typically don't work well. They're typically a challenge, but I'm hoping that God's Word is going to change you 
be a blessing to you and a tool for you to help others who are going through deep, difficult waters. As you leave today, you'll get a bookmark or a card because we want you to remember these. We want you to use them. We want you to hand them out. We want you to come alongside others who are struggling in this particular manner because this is, this passage, God's guide to painful waiting. God's guide to painful waiting. From the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, in just five verses, he gives you ten truths to learn on, to trust with, to help, hope for, and to rest in. And before we read these, take a look at that passage in your Bible and observe some really obvious truths. One is, this is a passage written to Christians. James calls them brethren three times in verse 7, 9, and 10. This passage is about patient endurance. You're going to see terms like that six times in this passage, in just five verses, the idea of being patient during difficult times. This passage is also about an eternal perspective as he talks about the return of the Lord twice in this passage. And the passage is loaded with illustrations about patient endurance. It really is. A farmer, farmers have to be patient, right? The return of Christ, patience. Facing Christ as judge, Old Testament prophets, and even Job himself is mentioned here as an example of endurance. So uh, read aloud with me this particularly crucial passage on painful waiting. Let's read it together, starting at verse 7, ending at verse 11. Here we go together. Ready? Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. And you too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured or have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Last week in verses 1 through 6, we just finished understanding James' condemnation of rich farmers who were in the context, sometimes meeting with the churches, but they were taking advantage of poor Christians who were working their fields, not paying them their due wages not giving them what they were owed. These wealthy businessmen who were attending church were not Christians, according to James' assessment, unless there was an immediate repentance from verses 1 through 6, and therefore they were guilty of oppressing poor saints. Now what he's telling us in verses 7 to 11 is who are the oppressed and what should they do? He talks about the oppressors in 1 through 6. He now talks about the oppressed in verses 7 through 11. And these are genuine believers who have an ongoing painful circumstance. What's their painful circumstance? Imagine this. Imagine this. You cannot feed your family. That's their deep, painful trial. And James says the answer is not to physically attack the financially fake. Don't blame them for your problems. Don't slander them on Instagram. Definitely don't write them a bad review on Yelp. Don't secretly wish they would suffer. Don't seek revenge. Don't hold a grudge. Don't graffiti their house. And don't play mean tricks on them. And don't stay mad and be snotty. 
James says, 10 truths to rely on when you're painfully waiting. To endure a painful waiting, the key is to depend on God's word as if it were a life preserver. Hang on to these truths as if your life depended on it because they do. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one in your outline, God's guides to painful waiting involves cultivating hope for a great future. Cultivating hope for a great future. We want to be cultivating a hope for a great future. This life is not the end. This world is not your home. Your body is not the body that you're going to spend eternity in. Christ will resurrect a new body that can eat, that can go through walls, that does not age, will not break, cannot ache, and never needs repair. And some of you are a little bit older. Can you say amen? That's right. Your current address here is not your home. It's not. Your home is heaven. The Lord will take you from this stinky temporary shack and he's going to bring you home to your heavenly mansion it is christ is coming to end this world as you know it and begin the next perfect flawless sinless world a sinless world no aches no pains absolute joy 100 percent of the time start cultivating a certain hope for your fantastic future it is not pie in the sky it is going to be glorious James says it this way. Look at verse 7. What does he say? He says, therefore, be what? Patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, until your real life begins. Patience has this idea of being long-tempered, right? You don't lose your patience. You don't get mad. You don't get upset. You don't get frustrated. You don't get agitated. Patience shows itself by being even-tempered, even during painful seasons. In fact, patience is often described and defined as long-suffering, steadfastness. You just keep, keep on keeping on. So James commands you, in the same way that God holds back his anger over this world right now, you hold back your impatient anger in this world, even when it's unfair, even when you're being oppressed, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to change everything. Everything's going to change. Your house, your body, your life, your sin nature, everything's going to change. Everything. He promised he'd come back, didn't he? Matthew 26, 64 is one of those promises. You will see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Every Christian is to live with the certainty, the Christian hope of Christ's return. You got to start every day with maybe today, Lord, maybe today. And when you're in deep waters, you're going every hour, every 10 minutes. Now would be nice. Now would be nice. Why did Paul endure such suffering? Why did he work so hard? Why did he endure so many beatings, he tells us in 2 Timothy 2.10. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, what do they get? Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. What? Eternal glory in the midst of painful difficulty cultivate the certain hope of eternal glory. Eternal glory. Now, to endure painful waiting, you should also, number two in your outline, recognize there are different seasons in life. This is a biggie. This is one that my mom taught me. It's not always this way, right? There are different seasons. Every farmer, 
and we don't have any farmers in our midst, I don't think, I mean real true farmers, understand, they, don't, they understand the difficulty of seasons. They understand that. In Israel, there were seasons of dry and brief seasons of rain, and the farmer had to wait for the brief beginning rains of their crops to sprout. They had to hope for the later rains in order for their crops to produce, and every farmer plants seeds, prepares the soil, but does not reap a crop immediately. It doesn't happen immediately. He has to wait. 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 Say wait with me. Ready? Wait. Not, not, not wait. Just wait. Okay? Understand, he's got to plant seeds. He prepares the soil, but he doesn't reap a crop immediately. God must send the rains to water the soil in order for him to harvest. The early rains came in October, November. The later rains came in April and May. And even so, a Christian must be patient as well. And that's what the Bible means in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. In due time, we will reap if we do not, what? Grow weary. And that waiting is often agonizing. Again, put yourself in the situation of the people that James is writing in this letter. He's writing oppressed poor who cannot feed their families. This is something we don't understand in our culture. They cannot feed their families. They had to trust the Lord when it was dry, when the rain didn't come. So James says this in verse 7. Take a look at it. He says, The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. James says, Trust the Lord during the dry seasons. When life is risky, painful, dangerous, and scary. And trust the Lord during the rainy, wet, productive seasons. Every Christian, every church goes through full seasons and empty seasons. Seasons where they have to sit on very hard benches and then they get to be luxuriously in the pack. Seasons where you're struggling. Seasons of sweetness, seasons of doubt, seasons of trust, seasons of joy, seasons of sorrow. Week to week, learn to trust the Lord during the dark, dry, difficult seasons, remembering that they're temporary. They're temporary. Not only temporary eternally, but temporary in this life. Remember Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. You know this passage. Take a look at it. It says, there is an appointed time for what? Everything. There is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to tear down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There are different seasons in your life. During the seasons when the pain and hurt seems to linger, you need to remember the other seasons when the Lord blessed and brought joy. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord's providential care and in His all-wise plan. You know Romans eight twenty-eight, right? For this cause, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. And James is saying and picturing here Christians as spiritual farmers. And as spiritual farmers, they're looking for the coming spiritual harvest. When the waiting is painful, remember God is producing a coming harvest in our lives. We need to know that it's seasonal. Waiting and pain also demands number three in your outline, being certain of your heart is confident in Christ's soon coming. Your heart is confident in Christ's soon coming. 
it's a little different now because he's being specific. When experiencing painful waiting, let your heart be strengthened by his soon return. Take a look at verse 8 in your outline and in your passage and in your Bible. You too be patient. And then he says, strengthen your what? Heart. For the coming of the Lord is near. Two commands here. The first is calling us to be steadfast, patient, immovable, long-suffering. But how? He commands, strengthen your heart. He gives a call for a resolute, firm courage and commitment. Do not collapse under the weight of suffering, difficulty, persecution, and painful trial. Shore up your heart with the soon-to-come rapture. Rapture. Strengthen your heart. Strengthen is from a, a root word that means to cause to stand. It actually means to prop you up. Let your heart prop you up. And he's urging those about to collapse under the weight of their painful waiting, persecution, and hurt to prop themselves up with the hope of the Savior soon coming. There's something more going on here that he is about to lead us to and an understanding. There's such persecution that there are some people being tortured in the church. And he actually has a section at the end of James where he's talking specifically those who've been weakened in their faith. Weakened to the point where they need others to hold them up. And he's saying, listen, before you get to that point, make sure your heart is strengthened. Make sure your heart is right. Spiritual strengthening in the scripture is typically something that the Holy Spirit does. It is his work in your life. In this particular passage, James is saying, you take the steps to depend to make sure your heart is right. He's telling you to do that. He's not referencing the Spirit of God at this particular point. He's saying, in your human side here, be responsible to strengthen your heart. Listen, the Christian life is not let go and let God. It's not legalistic self-effort. But you are responsible to act on your will while you depend on the Spirit of God. And listen, you can tell by what a person says while they're going through painful waiting. Their words indicate whether their heart is strengthened or not. Listen, this is so serious. I think it's one of the key phrases in the entire passage. You must make sure that your heart is right. That you soften your heart in the midst of your painful waiting that you're dependent, that you're not building up anything, that your, your attitude is key, your accountability is key. God wants to work, and you need to go after that right heart, that internal reality. And James is teaching her, get your heart in the right place in the midst of your painful waiting. Be certain your heart is confident in Christ's coming, that Christ is in control, that he loves you, that he's all wise, and the Bible teaches no one knows the day or the hour when Christ comes again. His coming is as sudden as lightning. So understand, you must be watchful and ready. And the tougher living in this world is, the more confident you need to grow that he's coming, that he has a plan in all of this. The Lord will snatch you away from all this sorrow, this pain, this difficulty, this struggle. And you need to live each day making certain your heart is convinced that the Lord is coming soon. In fact, the Bible tells us, it is imminent. His coming is imminent. Take a look at Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone, and the day is what? Near. Hebrews 10, 25. Don't, don't forsake the assembling together. That's the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't try to change your circumstances, but 
work hard on your heart, allowing the Spirit of God to change your heart. Make sure it's soft, make sure it's right. Make sure you know that this is his tender hand that is orchestrating the circumstances and he has good in view for your life. To endure painful waiting, trust in what God says. Number four in your outline, don't blame people as your problem. Now, this is incredible that he makes this statement because this statement, again, is in the context of in the church themselves are the oppressors who really aren't following Christ and the oppressed in the same church. And he says, don't blame those guys. Wow. Avoid blaming others for your pain, your sin, your difficulty, or your circumstances. This is completely contrary to our day. Completely. Get this. James is telling those who are oppressed to not blame the oppressors. And in the rest of verse 9, to leave all that hatred, all that struggle, all that blame, all that complaining, all that groaning, leave it to the judge. Leave it to him. Our judge, Jesus Christ, will make all things right, all things just. He brings justice. He will condemn the oppressor perfectly. He will reward the oppressed perfectly. He will be the perfect judge. And look what James says in verse 9. Do not what? Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. Do not what? Complain, brethren, against one another. I love the word complain so much because it more accurately, you could put and scratch that out and put groan. It's groaning. He's talking about sighing is another good translation of this word. Those who cause you pain, discomfort, displeasure, which results in you groaning. He literally means groan within yourself. You might not even say it. It's just in you. You know, you can hear it, right? Uh, right? Come on, is anybody there? Anybody there? Uh, do it with me. Uh. That's it. That's what he's talking about. It literally means to groan within yourself. It's an internal, usually unexpressed. You know what it is? It's a bitter resentful heart that manifests itself in one's relationship with others. It comes out when you start dealing with others. And James just said in verse 8 that this painful waiting will affect your heart. So to stop groaning against others as a way of escape for your pain, don't, don't keep, because when you begin to focus on others, you're not focusing on who? Christ. See, when you begin to blame others, your focus is not on Christ, it's on others. And James just said, your heart is the issue. Stop blaming others because the Lord wants to work on you. Listen, when you use others as an escape, then it keeps the Lord from working in you. It keeps the Lord from changing your heart because your focus is totally off. And I'm telling you, this is the measure of our day. This is the, the feeling of our day. This is the, what you're taught to do today is to turn your focus on people and that immediately takes your focus off of Christ. With this present tense, continual ongoing command not to groan, he's saying don't let your brothers and sisters in Christ ever cause you to groan in your heart. Don't allow your painful trials to turn you into a triple C. You know what a triple C is? A critical, complaining Christian. A triple C. You and I both know people are easy to blame. Just look around this room. You could find somebody to blame, right? Come on. Just look down your row. 
Maybe you did it on the way here. You drive too fast. There you go. Most often, what we blame others for is actually true of us. They make us mad because they remind us of what's wrong in us. Relationships are messy. People are sinful. Don't let them take your focus off of Christ and keep you from obedience to his word and a tender heart before Christ. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are not the reason for your painful waiting. They're not sovereign. They're, they're under the sovereignty of God. You all know the poem, right? To walk above with saints we love, oh, that will indeed be glory. But to walk below with saints we know, that's another story. You know that poem, right? James says, don't groan about them. And then he adds, you must not be their judge. Number five in your outline, remembering God is the one you must answer to soon. God is the one you answer to. No one else, even under pain, live each day knowing you will be judged for your life and your choices, your words, your actions. Verse 9, he gives us readers a powerful motive, powerful motive for avoiding bitter groaning. Look what he says in verse 9, the second half. So that, here's the purpose, you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing what? He's right at the door. I mean, any second now. Those of you who don't know the Lord will face judgment, and your judgment will result horribly in eternal damnation. But all of us in this room are going to be judged. The Bible's very clear about that. Speaking to you, Christian, he says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, you know this verse, for we, Christians, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, that means in this life, according to what he has done, not thought about, imagined, will do in the future, but what you've done, whether it was useless or useful, or good or bad. It's, in other words, it's for God's glory and in the power of the Spirit, or it's done in the flesh for your own glory, whether good or bad. And James reminds you and all his other readers Verse 9, behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Standing right at the door. Christ, the final judge, the only eternal judge, is about to open the door to his courtroom and convene his court. That's what he's saying. And knowing that the strain of hardship, pain, and persecution will lead to groaning against others, James is cautioning you. Listen, how's he stopping you from groaning in heart? He's telling you, you're going to be judged. And guess who knows your heart better than anybody on planet Earth? The judge. The judge knows your heart. So your heart before him, though no one sees it, no one's impressed, it's for him, the internal you. So he's saying, look, stop the sin of complaining and groaning lest you lose your full reward before the great judge. Look at 2 John 8. It cautions this challenge. It basically says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what you have accomplished, that you may receive a what? Full reward. Why? James was reminding you, Christ the judge is ready to throw open the doors, burst onto the judgment scene, so don't blame people. No, even in pain, there's reward. Even in pain. When you're in painful waiting, do not judge others, no matter what they've done. Christ the judge is at the door. I love that symbol don't you he's right there and christ is right there he hears what's said 
He knows your heart. He knows what's going on, the groaning or non-groaning, the trusting or not trusting. He will come quickly. He will make things right. He will. Murmuring and complaining. Does God enjoy murmuring and complaining? Have you read anything of the Old Testament, Israel? He does not like it. Because what is it? It's an attack against his sovereignty. It's you're saying, I don't like the way you do business. And so it's an attack against him. So he's saying, watch out for that groaning, that complaining. we got to remember, here comes the judge, okay? And he knows us really, really well. Number six, to make sense of our hurtful trial, we should accepting the painful waiting is nothing new. We should be accepting that painful waiting is nothing new. Realize that painful waiting, those deep waters, listen, if you're a Christian, you're going through it. You're going to go through it. It's normal, and the Lord has given us examples to follow. Look at verse 10. As I, what? An example. Verse 10, what is it? As a what? This is an example for us, brethren, of suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Listen, were they speaking in their own name? Were they doing life in their own flesh? No, they were speaking in the name of the Lord, and yet, were the prophets treated well, or were the prophets treated bad? Anybody? There you go. That's what he's saying. The Old Testament prophets, including John the Baptist here, they serve as an incredible example to us. Listen, they're serving the Lord in the power of the Lord. And yet they're getting incredibly treated badly. Again, he's talking to Christians who are poor, can't feed their families. And he's saying, look at the prophets. They endured evil treatment from people because they spoke in the name of the Lord. The persecution endured by Israel's prophets is a sad catalog of hurtful rejection and harsh abuse. I mean, think about it. Moses and the rebellious Israelites. David chased all around the wilderness by Saul. Elijah hated by Jezebel, Ezekiel in the death of his wife, Daniel torn from his family as a youth, Hosea and a heartbreaking marriage, so many others demonstrate patience in order to encourage you and I to run the Christian life, to not give up in our Christian race, to do it with diligence no matter how much it hurts, no matter how painful it is, no matter how long we have to endure. That's what he's asking. Verse 10, take a look at it. Every one of his prophets were in the will of God, doing what's right, and yet they suffered. So James says they are preaching in the name of the Lord. They're doing the right thing, and yet they're persecuted. You know what happens when you get into deep, dark waters? I mean, we're talking about painful waiting here. Satan will often tell you, born-again believers, that your suffering is the direct result of your sin. Or because... You're suffering because of your unfaithfulness. You become tempted to believe. Are you ready? Come on, you've said it. I know you thought it. God's punishing me. Come on, are you there? Biblical truth affirms that those who live godly will be persecuted. And they'll suffer. Don't ever think that obedience automatically produces ease and pleasure. That's the lie of our society. Let me say it again and write it down. Don't ever think that obedience to the scripture automatically produces ease or pleasure. It doesn't. 
Our Lord was obedient, and it led him to the cross. Let me say it again. Our Lord was obedient, and it led him to the cross. The prophets encourage us by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through painful suffering for his sake. And James reminds Christians about Old Testament believers, those prophets who suffered under the hands of sinners, and yet they trusted the Lord during their patient waiting. How? How do you endure painful waiting, relying on what God promises? What is that? Well, number seven in your outline, trusting in the blessing which comes with endurance. Trusting in the blessing which comes with endurance. You need to endure. James reminds his readers, he too will suffer painful trials and difficult waiting. James includes himself in verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. We count those blessed who endured. Look at the first pronoun. We. James is here. You're blessed when you endure. James has already affirmed this truth. Do you remember James? Chapter 1. Remember that? Verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres, who endures under trial, under pressure. It's under pressure. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised for those who love him. Endure comes from two Greek words. To remain is the first verb. The second one is under. To remain under. To endure is to remain under the heat. To remain under the pressure of this particular trial. The weight of this trial. The weight of painful waiting. James says, we all know, come on, we all know that endurance, like the prophets, produces blessing. They're all blessed. They're all thought of as blessed because they endured. And even in this life, Paul was blessed with dependence on God, special grace, spiritual strength. All the while, he was repeatedly, Paul was unjustly, Paul was assaulted by Satan through fallen men constantly and yet he had special grace he was dependent on god he had spiritual strength listen god's blessing does not come to people who do great things god's blessing comes to people who endure write that down god's blessing does not come to people who do great things god's blessing comes to people who endure endure those who receive the greatest blessing in the life to come are those who endured the greatest suffering in the present world. The hope of blessing now and in future glory should motivate you to endure painful waiting and hurtful trials. In fact, you should be, number eight in your outline, knowing that God has deeper purposes for your endurance. God has deeper purposes for your endurance. Look at verse 11, the second half. God shows you his deeper purposes with Job. We've had a lot of Job lately. Verse 11b, you have heard of the endurance of Job. He endures. That's what he's saying. Endure. Job himself is a powerful proof that God designed your painful waiting for greater purposes than you know. You say, what are you doing this for? He knows you don't. Listen, Job didn't know what was going on, uh, yet God intentionally worked everything together for Job's good and God's glory through incredible pain, incredible hurt, and incredible hardship. I have yet to scrape my boils with a potsherd, okay? I haven't done that, but understand the book of Job is a long book filled with speeches that seem tedious. In fact, the first three chapters are Job's distress 
where he loses his wealth, he loses his family, sadly, except his wife who told him to commit suicide, and he loses his health. So Job in chapter 4 through 31 is Job's defense as he debates with his three friends and answers their false accusations. And then chapters 38 to 42 give Job's deliverance first as God humbles Job and then as the Lord honors Job, giving him twice as much as he had before. His distress, chapters 1 through 3, his dialogues or defense verses or chapters 4 through 31 and his deliverance 38 to 42. Amazing book describes unimaginable endurance in suffering. I mean, think about it. The fierce attacks of Satan. The loss of his children. Can you imagine that? The loss of his wealth, his health, his reputation, and worst of all, the loss of his sense of God's presence. Wow. What does Job do? He, does he bemoan? Yeah, he does. He bemoans his misguided comforters. He does cry out in confusion and yet, through it all, he doesn't sin or blame God. But what does he say in Job 13, 15? He says, though God slay me, I will, what? Hope in him. Wow. Job is a classic example of a man who patiently endures suffering and was blessed by God for his persevering faith. By pointing to Job, James is convincing his readers that God has a purpose in your painful waiting, just as he did for Job, which should lead you to number nine in your outline, longing for the outcome of God's painful dealings. You should long for the outcome. Greater joys are ahead for those who remain faithful, who those who endure. James says, speaking of Job, verse 11, he says, and seen the outcome, and that word outcome is the completion of the Lord's dealings. Remember for a moment here just how difficult Job's suffering was. No comfort was given. No comfort was given. Job did not know what was going on behind the scenes between God and Satan. Job's friends accused him of being a sinner and a hypocrite. They said to Job, there must be some terrible sin in your life or God would not have permitted this kind of suffering. Job disagreed with them and maintained his innocence, not his perfection, during the entire conversation. And his friends were wrong. His friends were dead wrong. God had no cause against Job, Job chapter 2, verse 3. And in the end, God rebuked his friends for telling their speculative lies in Job 42, 7. But it gets better. After losing his wealth, losing his health, can you imagine what he went through health-wise? And family, after being tormented by errant friends who interpreted his godly responses to suffering as hypocrisy, the outcome of the Lord's dealing with Job now gives us hope gives hopes to each one of us, each one of you, who are enduring painful waiting and unknown suffering. Now, you and I know that there were purposes why this occurred now, as we have God's Word unfolding this for us. In the book of Job, four important divine purposes for Job's suffering. One, to test his faith, to prove it was genuine. Two, to thwart Satan's attempt to destroy his faith. Three, to strengthen Job's faith and enable him to see God more clearly. And four, to increase Job's blessedness. His blessedness. All those purposes were realized because Job remained loyal to God and Job describes the outcome in Job 42 verses 10 to 17. It says this, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. 
Job lived 140 years, saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations, and Job died an old man full of days. The book of Job ends with this incredible grocery list of God's blessings given to his loyal and faithful servant. Why? To encourage you to you during painful waiting. Listen, it's coming. If it hasn't come, it's going to. Ask the Lord, how can I honor you, my Savior? I remember getting a handle on this early on. I was a preacher, and I had lost my voice. Like, I couldn't preach. For three months, I couldn't speak. The Lord closed my throat, and I said, Lord, no matter what, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to, I'm going to be a godly man. I'm going to let you shine through this. And I, it was incredible. The Lord gave me grace, and I was able to do that all the way through until the very end. And the very end, I got bronchitis. You've heard this story. I got bronchitis, and I, I didn't curse God, okay? But I said, what in the world are you thinking? I can't talk, and now I've got bronchitis? What is that all about? I don't, I don't know if I said it that way, but it was in my heart, that's what was going on. Right at the end. I didn't doubt him the entire time, right at the end. And you know what he was doing? He gave me bronchitis to force my throat to swell so it kicked my vocal cords back into gear, and actually he was healing me while I'm going, curse God and die. Okay? You, you follow what I'm saying? He was fixing me while I finally lost patience. But that's our goal during the most painful times of your life to say, Lord, whatever you want, I want to be your man, your woman through this time. And that's what he's talking about. That's why he's referring to Job. Ask the Lord, how can I honor you, my Savior, during this time of hurt and pain to endure painful waiting? You've got to depend on what God teaches and you've got to hang on to it like it's a life preserver in the midst of a storm. You hang on to it no matter what. You grab a hold of that, his promises, and you just cling. Say, no, I am not going to listen to the world. I'm not going to listen to my own heart. I'm not going to listen to my own feelings. I'm going to trust the Lord. That's painful waiting. He's deepening you. He's making you into the man and the woman that really will have influence and impact in other people's lives. They'll bring him glory, which also then ultimately leads us to number two in your outline, rejoicing over God's amazing character. God's amazing character. You can trust the Lord because he is all-wise, in control, all-powerful, trustworthy, loving, perfect, provident over every detail and every relationship. Can I hear an amen to that? He is sovereign. He even, wait, 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 let this hit you. He even died for you. He suffered and died for you. So in great wisdom, James ends this paragraph by taking the most common negative temptations off the table what is the most common response by a believer who's going through painful waiting for a long time what's the most common response james is not going to allow you to have the most common response look at what he says verse 11 that the lord is full of what compassion oh come on say it. he's full of compassion and he is what merciful what do people say when they're suffering for a long difficult trial painful waiting what are you tempted to think are you ready number one god does not care for me number one the first thing that come into your mind god does not care for me this is him spanking. he's mad like a bad dad he's mad and james says no he's not he's compassionate 
He weeps over your pain like at the tomb of Lazarus. He cares what you're going through. He's compassionate. You know what that word is? <clears throat> Full of compassion? It means, it literally means many-boweled. It's a, it's a word that James himself coined for this passage. He didn't say bowel, which would be the seat of the emotions for the Hebrew. He said many-boweled. In other words, he is full. There's no one who can even come close to the compassion that he has for you at this particular moment. Many-boweled. It's the Hebrew idiom which spoke of the bowels or stomach as the seat of commotion. He's basically saying God is more than anyone else feels it in his gut for you. So to say that God has many bowels is to affirm that he has a massive capacity for compassion for you more than anyone you know. It's a fact. What does he say in 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting all your anxiety on him because he what? He cares for you. And the second most common wrong response to times of painful waiting, what's the second biggest temptation? Is we say, God is punishing me. That's what we say. And James says, no, God is full of mercy. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. That would be punishment. But he doesn't do that. He's full of mercy. Not giving you what you deserve, but giving you his compassion. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, he's not punishing you. No, God punished his son for you. He punished his son instead of you. And he continues in chapter 2, verse 5 of Ephesians, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. In the midst of your trials, celebrate the character of Christ and the work of Christ. In the midst of the injustice, reflect on who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. He's not punishing you. He gave you mercy. Instead of, he's not being indifferent to your pain. No, he's full of compassion. Full of compassion for you. For you. So take this home. In light of all this helpful truth, the most important truth of all is Christ. Christ is the most important truth. So letter A, Christ alone is the judge, not you. Don't blame people. Don't fight back. Don't groan. Don't complain about how unjust the situation is or how mean those people are. I, I still, I can't get this in my head. These people are in the same church. There's the poor that are being taken advantage of, the oppressed, and the oppressors in the same church, and he's saying, let Christ take care of it. Not you. I mean, it doesn't matter how unjust your situation is. It doesn't matter how mean those people are. James just taught you in verses 1 through 6, he's going to punish the oppressors. He's going to do it. Not you. God will bring justice. He will fix the injustices. He will basically take care of it so you don't take matters into your own hands or try to get them back. What's he say in Romans chapter 12, verse 19? Never take your own revenge. What's the first word in that verse? Never. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Christ is the judge. He will deal justly with all offenders, all oppressors. Letter B, Christ alone is the one you run to. 
When you find yourself in the furnace, uh, child of Christ, go to the throne of grace and receive all the grace you need to endure. From Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, you know this, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, he's saying, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin, listen, <clears throat> you start feeling sorry for yourself, remember what Christ went through for you. Remember what he did. Remember how he suffered. The sinless son of God, God-man, died on your behalf. And yet he did that without sin. So what does he say? Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive what? Mercy and find grace to help in time. Run to him in prayer. Run to him in your heart. Remember the Lord has gracious purposes in all your suffering. He will work out his purposes in his time. You are not a robot caught in the jaws of fate. That's today. You are not a robot caught in the jaws of fate. You are a beloved child of God, privileged to be a part of his perfect plan for your good and for his glory. Letter C. Christ alone has the truth which will allow you to endure. Christ alone has the truth. The trials, the suffering, the persecution that are a part of painful waiting as God's true child can be patiently endured by cultivating a heart of great, great love and cultivating a heart of trust and a great hope for a great eternity having a confident heart in the lord's coming and understanding that this is just a season and seasons of life some are good some are bad recognizing the lord's judgment not blaming people following the examples of the people of god who've gone before you listen one of the greatest things you could do when you're going through a dark season is read biographies of great christians because when you begin to understand what they went through, you're like, man, what I'm going through is nothing compared to what they went through. Nothing. Read biographies. Trust in the Lord's deeper purposes. He is working out his plan. The Lord's compassionate and merciful character. Embrace that. Trust these truths during dark seasons, and your heart will take root in them again and again and again. And to endure that painful waiting, you've got to hang on to these truths like it's a life preserver in the midst of a storm that you're going to drown unless you cling to them. And letter D, Christ alone can make you alive. <clears throat> Sadly, there are many in the church today who are accepted as Christians because they talk Jesus, they show up to church, and yet an examination of their lifestyle reveals that their faith is without works. They don't walk in obedience to his commandments. Their lust for money and possessions betrays their true allegiance. Their lack of trust in Christ during seasons of trial reveal their true character. And God will forgive those of you putting your notes away right now. <laughs> your sad, sin-sick, shriveled-up souls. <laughs> Don't be content knowing about Jesus. Know him intimately, intimate with him. Don't settle hearing the word of God, heed it, follow it. Don't lull yourself with surface church attendance. Be immersed in Christ, immersed in his church. Don't lie to yourself about praying a prayer once, walking an aisle, signing a card, having a decision, having an experience. Ask yourself, is Christ in you? 
Because if he is, he will show through you. You'll want to obey him. You'll be willing to do whatever he asks you to do, no matter how dark and how difficult the trial is. And you will worship him regardless of the cost, worshiping him even in the storm while you cling to his promises. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we pray you would take your word and you would change us and you would prepare us, make us the men and women you want us to be when things get really hard. Father, we pray that we might trust you during the dark, dark times. Lord, thank you for James and his clear word to those who are oppressed. And Father, we're not always oppressed, but there will be seasons when we are. We pray that we might cling to these truths. And Father, if there are any here who are outside of your family, help them feel the fear and the weight and the sorrow and the lack of resource by being outside of your care. And use that to draw them to yourself. Bring yourself glory by drawing them to yourself and giving them a new heart and a new life where they can depend on you in faith and turn from their sin and repentance and know what it's like to be clinging to the one who is worthy of all of our trust, the one we can trust more than any other being in the universe. And we pray that that would be true for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.